this is about you. The infinite you. The part of you that can't be seen, can't be smelled, touched, or tasted. But you know you feel it. Who you really are. In a world lost to confusion, a universe that's partly illusion, when we look for meaning, we often simply find more delusion. Ground your consciousness in the sounds of the universe, a podcast about your true omnipotence. There's a universe inside each of us, but our beliefs keep us constrained to the edges of what we can imagine. The Innerverse Podcast is your portal to that infinite realm of ideas. I'm Chance Garden, and I'll be your host as we serve up inspirational sound waves from the brightest minds with the highest vibes. And we keep searching for the empowering perspectives we need to create our greatest masterpiece of all, our lives. up and welcome to the one within all from a slightly cold Springfield, Missouri. I'm Chance Garten and this is the Innerverse. If you've been with me for a while, then you know that on this show, we typically look at the love and light side of reality. But as anyone who is moving up the spiritual ladder of life will know, every light casts an equal shadow. And sometimes those shadows go bump in the night and leave us wondering just what might lurk beyond the short bandwidth spectrum that we humans can perceive. It's a big and mysterious universe out there, and to fully pursue the truth of our place in reality, we've got to look in every dark corner for what we might have missed in our quest to understand and integrate all parts of ourselves. We've talked with many guests lately about ways to connect with our own higher self, and the types of guiding spiritual forces or entities that might be waiting for us to accept their help. Sometimes these wisdom-sharing beings take the form of our own deceased loved ones, power animals, angelic ancestors, and other things altogether alien. But one question that's always haunted my consciousness is just how thin is the veil between our side and the other? Are there things trying to get our attention all the time? And do some of these spirits require our assistance? It seems to me that it's quite easy to get stuck on our problems in life, and why should it be any different for those who have left their bodies? Well, as our guests today will tell you, sometimes the attempt to answer these questions can lead to a synchronicity storm that drops you into a swan dive down the rabbit hole headfirst into the mystery, only to hit the ground with a thud and find yourself in an unrecognizable wonderland with a million more questions than where you started. That's right, today we've got a real two-for-one treat with the extraordinarily adept paranormal researchers and filmmakers, Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall. Putting their creative passions into play on the ghost hunting field, these two have created some of the most stunning documentary evidence for spirit contact that I have ever seen. 
You can find their research into the Haunted Stanley Hotel on YouTube by looking up Spirits of the Stanley, and fans of The Shining will recognize the place as the inspiration for that film, although the spirits that Carl and Connor contact there are far more friendly than Hollywood would have you believe. They've also teamed up with fellow researchers Greg and Dana Newkirk from Planet Weird to release an unbelievably strange new series called Hellier, featuring goblins, alien cave bases, mysterious three-toed tracks, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's truly a pleasure and honor to have these guys join us on the show today to explore some far-out phenomenon, the likes of which haven't gotten much airtime on the innerverse ever before, but I have always wanted to discuss because I am obsessed with all things fringe. To properly introduce either of these guys, I've also got to let you know that Carl Pfeiffer is a world-class photographer and has some of the coolest and most creative Photoshop edits I've ever seen on his portfolio. And on top of that, he is a published novelist, which is amazing considering all the other work he does. An epic creator that will easily inspire you. Make sure to look up Carl on social media with the links in the show notes. And of course, Connor Randall, who is also joining us for this call, has an extremely active creative life as well. And most of all, I've been highly impressed with his intuition and obvious psychic gift by watching him on these documentaries I mentioned. Connor also plays drums for an awesome rockabilly punk band called The Ghoulies out of Denver. So with these two put together, there's really no creative skill set they don't handle, and I'm really stoked to have them here. Remember, you can find the extended two-hour version of this episode by signing up for Interverse Plus with the link in the show notes, and make sure to buckle up, burn your sage, and get ready for a reality-bending interview with two future legends of the paranormal world, Carl Pfeiffer and Connor Randall. Carl, my man, welcome to the Interverse. Thanks for having us. And let's welcome Connor Randall to the show. Yeah. Thank you. You really did your homework there, sir. Man. <laughs> well, it was a very fascinating homework. It didn't feel much like work. I just finished watching Spirits of the Stanley, which although it's two years ago, it still feels like probably the most groundbreaking information I've ever come across, at least in video form, evidence for this type of, I guess, a haunting phenomenon. And from watching that, I can tell you guys both have strong emotional ties to the place. So could you tell us a little bit about the Stanley Hotel and how you came to be involved there? Yeah, I think I got there a little bit before Connor did, if just by maybe a year. I had just come off of being on, on a couple of ghost hunting TV shows, and I was kind of curious about what that next step in the paranormal kind of world would be for me. And a friend of mine was visiting from out in California and we decided like, we got to go check out the Stanley hotel. It's been in my backyard for the better part of my life, but really like I, I hadn't been up there too much, uh, especially looking for ghosts at all. So I thought it was a great uh, little kind of tourist thing to do. Uh, me and him both being into ghosts, we wound up connecting with the paranormal investigator, uh, the resident paranormal investigator there at the hotel. And that kind of kicked off a job. They were looking to expand the ghost hunts a little bit. They needed another person up there. And I started going up there pretty much every weekend and leading the public around on the five-hour ghost hunts. And then, of course, a little bit extra here and there in regards to kind of our own personal explorations of the property. Yeah. For me, the Stanley, it's funny. I think everybody has sort of this really popular haunted location near them. The Stanley Hotel is an hour away from where I was born and raised, you know. So from an early age, that was the place that I wanted to be because I had such a fascination with ghosts and spirits. And so I 
started making treks up there on, in the summer times with my family. And then I ended up getting my first job there when I was 17 years old over basically spring break that year as the concierge slash history tour guide up at the Stanley Hotel and just really latched on with, with a passion for the place and kept coming back. And then basically they found out about my passion for ghosts as well and sort of combined it and let me start to hang out with Carl more often. And, and that's how the whole Spirits of the Stanley movement began. That's really cool. And I want to talk about the more recent work first, because I think that's what you'd like people to check out. And we can talk more about stuff related to the Stanley because I have those questions for sure. But if you're going to give people the pitch, uh, the 10 second riding on an elevator with them pitch about why they should check out Hellier and just what it is, uh, how would you do that? It doesn't actually have to be 10 seconds, by the way. <laughs> 10 seconds would be hard. <laughs> 10 seconds, like Hellier is basically, it, it. everything with Hellier started as a couple of emails got sent to a friend of ours, Greg Newkirk, who this gentleman was being terrorized by these small creatures that seemed to be coming out of this mine shaft on the back of his property in Eastern Kentucky. And he wanted help with it. Greg and him shot some emails back and forth and the guy disappeared. The case only got weirder from there. It's a weird start, but it only got weirder after that. And we wound up five years later going to that town in Eastern Kentucky to try to figure out if this guy really existed, if this phenomena or this problem were really happening. And it wound up opening up into connections and strangeness that we, going into the case, had no idea was attached to it. What's your guys' take on what might have been seen out there? I mean, obviously you don't have any con concrete answers, but can you share some speculations that don't necessarily, you know, give away Heli or too much for those who haven't seen it? I think that what we have, and, and, you know, we, we draw these lines very directly um, throughout the series, but I think as a group, we're all starting, starting to sort of collectively reach our own conclusions with John Keel's window area hypothesis that there are certain areas uh, throughout the world which, for whatever reason, there's a temporary opening to another world, another dimension, something that allows these, these incidents of high paranormal events and high strangeness to occur for a certain period of time. And, and I think we're all thinking that Hellier, Kentucky might have been one of those places for a short time back then. So you think possibly the phenomenon has cooled off a bit? I think it might be fair to say that, at least in that area. Uh, of course, the ongoing case of Hellier is finding out where to go next and where we can find one that's, that's actively taking place, you know. But because so much, I think there's definitely still traces of it that, are, that were apparent in the series when we went back there, you know, five years later. But there's definitely something about that area that was going on, still traces of it, but I don't know that it's in the four you know, full frontal, ready to, uh, you know, full on activity, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you guys have done your own research into these topics quite heavily. And I'd consider myself an amateur researcher in the form of listening to a lot of podcasts and watching a lot of videos, but not getting yeah. out into the field. But what I think is interesting is the kind of connections you can make to fairy or fey folk type of legends with uh, these types of Ghost spirit, ghosts or spirits or alien encounters people are having today. Do you see a lot of connection there to this being sort of a phenomenon that's been with humanity for a long time? 
I think it's a, uh, that was one of the first things from the, the get go that was in our minds about it because um, one of the initial interesting things about the email that this gentleman, David sent to Greg, I think in his first email, even he talked about how these creatures were coming out of this mine shaft into his backyard and they were kind of like trashing his property at night and tapping on his kids' windows. And they look like small, like bald, hairless, like kids without wearing any clothes is how he described them. And he, jumps in the email, he jumps to the conclusion that they were extraterrestrial without really like illustrating why he thought that these things were aliens. And so given the fact that they were coming out of the mine shafts, we always thought that was kind of an interesting leap for him to make um, as someone who may or may not be, but in all likelihood not be versed in any of those connections between extraterrestrials, aliens, and the fae, the fairy folk. That's very much a consistent element in like Jacques Vallée's Passport to Magonia. That's part of his big thesis and argument there is that connection between purported aliens and the fae folk of legend from hundreds of years ago in Ireland and a whole breadth of other phenomena. So that pluralistic viewpoint was something that I think all of us found a lot of appreciation for before this case really got onto our radar. But it was also something in the back of our minds as we went down there. And that only seemed to be reinforced uh, through our investigation and was part of the justification for pursuits of it in various different ways. We employ some ghost hunting type techniques to try to potentially interact with these types of entities, etc. But it was something that was always in our mind because it was seemed to be manifesting in, in so many different ways throughout our expedition there. I've tried to think what my best next question should be because, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to be delicate and not give away stuff about Hellier that would, I want people to be curious about it and get some information about it, but not because it's just like this weird mystery. Then part of the fun of it is watching you guys pull on these threads and keep getting sort of taken to uh, a new dead end and then a new link in the journey. So maybe since it's kind of in the beginning anyway, if uh, Carl could tell us a little bit about the synchronicity that even led you to want to work on this case with Greg and Dana, because that is pretty indicative of what the rest of the journey ends up being like. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it was kind of a, a shock to me because synchronicity was a phenomenon that I'd been familiar with for a long time. Um, being a kind of a student, a researcher of, of Jung, Carl Jung, one of my favorite uh, kind of philosopher, scientist, psych psychology uh, types from the early 1900s. He, uh, he introduced the concept of synchronicity, these kind of coinciding events, uh, coincidental, but having meaning attached to them. There's something significant between their coincidence. And for me with this case, it all kind of started with a synchronicity for me. Uh, very unexpectedly, I was listening to an old podcast uh, episode that Greg was on being interviewed about this entire case and all the twists and turns as the story went. And I was immediately enthralled. I was super hooked in it. I kind of took to Twitter uh, midway through the episode and blasted it out to everyone. I said, you should all check out this podcast episode. It's super great. Greg writes me back and says, you know, like a, I'll do credit to Jim Perry, the host of the podcast. Uh, he does a great job with his youth network. And then like a minute later, uh, Greg's Week and Weird account posts about the Kentucky Goblins case. And I commented back and I said, I see what you did there because I assumed that that was kind of a... He was just kind of jumping off from what I was saying to kind of direct people towards his blog write-up about it on Week and Weird. And he wrote back and he said, I didn't post that 
that was an auto post from the Week and Weird account, which is set up to auto post like once a day with old articles from the archives of the website, of which there were 1,700 articles archived for the website, and only two of them were about this Kentucky Goblins case. And I thought that, that the, the timing of it, I was listening to the podcast months after they'd recorded it. Uh, it was just kind of on a whim that I even picked it up that day in the first place. And let alone then that right in the middle of it, while I'm talking about it on Twitter to Greg, this thing automatically posts out. And so that felt significant. It felt kind of almost like a calling. And by the time I got to the end of the episode, it was kind of a cliffhanger finish. And at that point, having finished Spirits of the Stanley about a year before, um, I, I was like, looking for my next project. I wanted the next video project to work on. And that felt like I was getting the lasso. They were just kind of roping me into this, whoever the they were. To this day, I'm still unsure of that. But I did, I did feel kind of called by the phenomena to continue the story, to share the story, to be a part of it. For whatever reason, it seemed like maybe that phenomena wanted that story out. And that was an aspect that I could bring. Uh, but the most surprising part then, I was kind of curious. I had a bunch of synchronicities in the two weeks right after that first one. And then I went quiet for about a year until we filmed. But when we went to that town, when we went there into Hellier, a uh, big facet of this first season is we were just inundated with synchronicities uh, while we were out there filming. And that was a surprise because I wasn't expecting that to actually maintain. Uh, but it did kind of follow our entire experience with the case. Well, what I think is interesting is how technology seems to be manipulated by whatever this intelligence is that connects all these different paranormal types of activity. And on that note, with technology, you guys actually are the innovators of a technique called the Estes method, which from the article that Greg Newkirk wrote about it, seems to be one of the first major innovations in this field in quite a while. <laughs> As he put it, it's a field that is mostly dominated by sort of DIY at-home electronics cobbled into ghost hunting tools. And so I'd like it if Connor could tell us about the Estes method, because I think that not only are you guys pioneers of it, but Connor's probably one of the most fascinating people to actually watch performing as the uh, sort of medium or the speaker for this. So tell us about that, because I think it's one of the coolest ways I've ever seen to uh, merge technology and intuition. Well, thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. You know, the Estes method was basically sort of a happy accident in, in the way that it, that it sort of came to be. Carl and I, as we've said, we had a job together, uh, basically being ghost tour guides, right? So, so we got fairly used to taking people around the Stanley Hotel for a couple of hours, um, about five hours a night, and we would show them. It was sort of like ghost hunting 101. One of the tools that ghost hunters use, as, as many people are aware, is something called a spirit box. A spirit box is essentially a, uh, a broken radio. It's, it's transitioning through stations at a very quick rate of speed. The idea being that spirit voices might exist just beyond the realm of our perception within the radio waves. And so if that's the case, how can we sort of get those radio frequencies to sort of be inhibited by these spirit or, or inhabited by these spirit voices? So anyway, people think they hear ghost voices over the radio something that we were always sort of happily suspicious of naturally, like most people I think should be. 
But then when we would every now and then hear very clear, loud words in response to our questions over the speakers, we, we started to give it a little bit more credence. And then uh, it was actually Carl who came up the first night and said, well, the problem with the spirit box is that people can sort of hear what they want to hear, right? So if you've got 10 people listening in the room and suddenly you hear something that sounds fairly similar to the word, you know, James, and that's the, the ghost that you're looking for, suddenly everybody will hear that when in reality, it might be something else being said. So he said, why don't we just have one person listen to the box? Let's just have one person with headphones listening to that spirit box feed. And that way, they don't know. It gives us more control as to asking questions without looking for answers and trying to find answers, you know? And so he put on headphones. And Carl had a couple of, of interesting responses when he was listening on headphones. And then we decided to keep trying that. And I put on headphones. And we got a few more interesting responses. And then we decided, decided to keep experimenting with that. And so we actually, what would happen is we would finish our jobs with the public giving tours. And then we would usually spend for a few months in a row, we would spend the next three or four hours by ourselves in the basement of the concert hall of the Stanley Hotel, along with Michelle Tate, who worked there with us, basically perfecting this method. We started to use full-on soundproof headphones, drummer's headphones, that cut out 25 decibels of sound. There's nothing that you can hear in the outside room. You're only completely immersed in that spirit box feed. Uh, and then we decided to start putting on blindfolds so that you don't even know, even if your eyes are open, you can't see the people who are sitting in the room with you. You have no idea if somebody's even asking a question or if the people are still sitting in the room with you at all. You know, Basically, you're sitting there listening to this quick scan of radio stations and you're just honestly, it gives you a headache at first. And then after you do it long enough, even if you sit there for just maybe half an hour, listening to that feed really loud like that in a weird way, it does become sort of relaxing, sort of trance like, and then you just start to sort of sit in that relaxed state and spout out the words that you're hearing. And we did not expect the results to be as mind-blowing as they, as they have. Yeah, we kind of lost Connor for an, another second there, but hopefully his Wi-Fi kicks back on. But he kind of answered our question and the results definitely are mind-blowing. They make for a great uh, screen demonstration of something weird, that's for sure. So you guys do some experiments with different variations on this method in Spirits of the Stanley. And I was wondering if since then and since Hellier's come out, have anybody has anybody contacted you with their own versions of this experiment that have verified sort of that this is definitely working? Because from Greg's article, it sounds like it's get, getting picked up widely, but are there new variations being uh, innovated by others? Is this sort of kicking off an entire swell of interest? It's definitely kicking off a lot of interest, but there haven't been too many variations, I don't think, yet that we've seen. Most of the way, the current popular paranormal world seems to work is they'll see something that's very interesting in terms of like producing compelling interaction from seemingly spirits. And 
a lot of people will try to replicate that same exact process to try to get the results as well, um, which seems to be the case for the most part. Uh, a couple of shows have picked it up. Um, Greg and Dana have their uh, Patreon, their museum members group. Uh, a lot of those people talk about their experiences with it. It's gone and spread a lot uh, from Greg and Dana's use in their live investigations with it. Um, but a lot of people haven't tried too many different variations on it, um, which in some ways I think is good, in some ways uh, less good. I think it's good because it gives us a lot of info about the basic experiment itself and whether or not it's something that can be applied widely or if some people are better at it than others, uh, it, whether it seems to be working at all or if it's just an us thing. And from that kind of feedback, it looks like something seems to be working with it. It's almost across the board. People claim to have compelling results. It is kind of a tough... It's a tough experiment because it's it's harder to quantify and easier to qualify. You know, If you ask an open-ended question, there's so many different words and phrases that could potentially be a response to that versus asking a concrete like there's one word, you know, like what, say the word, the color red, you know, like say red, you know, when we try to narrow the experiment down to one word, there seems to be uh, a difficulty in getting the replication of that word for whatever reason, whether it's because the odds are a lot smaller that that should happen to a line, or if it's because the spirit for some reason can't quite give us that kind of concrete interaction, we're not sure. So there is a lot of questions we have in our mind about the kind of like circumstantial nature of the way that the answers line up. But the experiment on a whole has prompted a lot of questions. We do think that there seems to be enough moments that go beyond coincidence that we think something's happening. But there's a lot of questions across the board. So in a pseudoscientific approach, we tried to answer those uh, in our weeks that we had at the, the Stanley Hotel to try to narrow down uh, some of those questions. But it was less trying to narrow down like a certain kind of validity of the experiment, which is kind of tricky at a certain point when it becomes a quality sort of based thing. But if we presume that something interesting is happening, we can also try to identify some of the, the other questions. How far can a spirit be from this thing for it to work? Are the voices coming through the box or is it more of a psychical type situation? If we plug two people in the box, can they both get answers? And so our, our final weeks at the hotel there, we're trying some of those variations that I haven't really seen too many other people doing. There's been a couple of folks that'll try stuff. I think there's only one I think that I saw that we hadn't tried, which was, I think two people listening to two different spirit boxes at the same time and seeing if they would have anything similar come up. Um, but the moment you get kind of complex with it, it gets very hard to keep track of everything and all the answers because it's just kind of chaos. But that, that's kind of the long way of saying there's a lot of different varieties to the experiment. Most people kind of keep it pretty simple, but that's interesting too. This uh, Estes method really does fascinate me because it's like a technological Ouija board of sorts. What I think is compelling about it on a, whether or not we're looking at it as being the spirit manipulating the technology or it's more connected to the person's psychical ability or maybe a blend, I would say the psychic element seems to be huge because there are many instances of visualizations coming into the person's mind and that's not connected to the sound they're hearing at all theoretically. And sometimes those didn't seem relevant and then wound up being incredibly relevant. So what do you make of that? 
Sorry, I wasn't sure if Connor wanted to take that one because he's got a little bit more background in it. But it is interesting because the the visual parts are definitely not an aspect of the box. Um, you should only be hearing things with your ears. On the whole, personally, because that's that's a big question. It seems like there is kind of a psychic component, but it seems also nope. Sorry, I was just hearing a little of Connor there. Are you back? No, Carl, you take it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it, it does seem like a lot of people kind of across the board can have success with it. So um, I think that there's something that's kind of like technological and not purely psychical based. But I think that there's something about that state that the listener finds themselves in that Connor mentioned where you are kind of entranced and you're kind of relaxed and you almost hit that kind of hypnagogic state where you're not quite awake, you're not quite asleep, you're just focused on one thing, you're meditating. And I think that whether or not the stream of answers that we've gotten from the device is in large part due to that state. I think that being in that state certainly opens a person up to having some genuine psychical experiences, regardless of the Estes method uh, words that are coming through. And we have seen those and luckily enough documented some of them on film with, uh, with like Hellier um, where there's a pretty big one that happened to Connor. Well, I mean, there's that. So the thing is though, the, visualizations. I mean, the, the, keep in mind that the spirit box uh, is something that I had listened to in that Estes method state for, you know, Carl and I have tried to figure out how many, we would say maybe between like 30 and 50 hours, you know, maybe even just sitting there focused in that Estes method state. That instance, and I don't think I'm giving away any big spoilers right now, but in episode three of Hellier, there was a visualization through that spirit box in the method. And that's the first time that that has ever happened to me. That's also, I've even done the Estes method a dozen times since that filming and it has yet to happen again. Uh, so that, that one visualization was at least for me, a pretty big outlier and a, and a pretty big, powerful moment. I will say this just as a little bonus to, because maybe your listeners who are and people who are more entrenched in the in the metaphysical community might might be able to give more insight into this. Something that I didn't say in Hellier when I saw that visualization, which was a tin can, right? It was also covered in a bright pink background, which I thought was an interesting detail, and I can still see it see it you know clear as day in my mind, just sitting there listening to the feed, and then boom just middle of my mind clear as day is a is an empty tin can with a bright pink background behind it yeah that's so freaky in a cool way yeah. <laughs> how that uh how that came back to actually be important even though it seems so random and unrelated but obviously it jarred you because you immediately or you told them all about it in that experience and then your cohort Michelle in spirits of the stanley at one point was having strong impressions of some personality aspects of a spirit that was around. And I guess they weren't necessarily visualizations, but these impressions were coming through while she was in the Estes method state as well, without necessarily being heard over the receiver. It's true. And I would wonder what it relates back to one of the ideas that I might have. And again, because this method is still sort of in its inception phase, we can have people continue to experiment with it. I'm definitely an audio learner, right? I learn by ears. I 
play music. I'm, I'm entrenched in the world of, of my hearing. I'm not a visual person. I would wonder if somebody who's more of a visual learner or a visual artist would be more likely to experience visualizations like that. Yeah, that's a big question. And it's really dovetailing nicely with some of the episodes I just had with people who are more on the metaphysical community, shamanic uh, type healing individuals. And one of the big things that comes up all the time when I talk to those types of people is that the portal to actually communicate with things that are non-physical is your imagination itself. So maybe something to do with that imagination stimulating white noise puts you in a meditative state. And then, of course, we've all experienced weird synchronicities like with our electronics, our phones, knowing when we're about to get a call or a text from someone or, or hearing it go off and knowing who it is, even thinking about somebody and not talking to them for a long time. And then uh, they pop in with a message right when you thought about them. So there is some weird connection between <laughs> between spirit and electricity, or perhaps perhaps the imagination is more of a perceptual tool. That's what I've always been inclined to believe. But I would like to know what motivates each of you to bring these types of stories to the world, uh, since we are talking a little more metaphysically now. I mean, I've always, um, for some reason, this the paranormal stuff, the dark, the creepy, and the mysterious on the whole has always kind of spoken to me since I was a little kid. Just even in liking Batman as a kid, like I like the creepy, mysterious elements of the character more than some of the other superhero characters, you know? And we're just talking about maybe in like a little tyke. I saw Ghostbusters for the first time and I was super into that because it was ghosts, you know? And still to this day, I appreciate like some of the more like eerie or unsettling moments of that movie as much as the comedy of it too. It's just been a facet that's always been with me. So I think one of the the aspects of the paranormal that I really like is it's something that you can attempt to engage with. It's a little bit more of a manifestation of that concept that I like, that mysterious nature of the world. You can engage in that in all sorts of ways, but going into a dark and creepy place and trying to make contact with an unseen kind of a realm or answer questions to these big mysteries or take uh, further steps along that path and have experiences that challenge the mind and kind of engage me in that way. Uh, I find it very exciting. And I know that that's not for everyone, but as a creative myself, I've always... I will always take something and internalize it. And if it gets me going, uh, if I enjoy it, my next step of engaging with that further is usually to then try to recreate something like that and put it out there again. So whether for me, that's engaging with paranormal content or books or research on the material, you combine that with my filmmaking where I will watch shows or consume films or movies and be really inspired by them. And I'll flip that around too. The paranormal is just kind of like the content of the create the creativity, because that's the one thing that, without a doubt, always gets my brain going. That's the one thing that I usually turn to content-wise for my more creative outlets. There's, it's a short list of things that really get me going, but uh, the paranormal is always one of the the steady content choices that, you know, I could go do a documentary series about beach volleyball or something, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be nearly as passionate about it as like <laughs> this the mysterious, the paranormal. Yeah. And I think I like all that Carl said there. I, I think that it's, uh, 
it's a passion. It's a, it's a bug. Once you're bit, uh, with some sort of an experience, you just keep coming back and back and back. My motivation stems from some early experiences in childhood, even a more generalized idea. I have a pretty distinct medical history. I'm actually a heart transplant recipient. And so even from an early age, people would ask me, you know, like, so do you have like traits of your donor and things like that? Do you ever have, do you ever see things? Do you ever have weird dreams? Like those sort of questions were being asked of me when I was, you know, 10 years old. And I think that really helped to sort of immediately open my mind to the idea. Like I'm, I'm sort of in a very physical way, proof of, of life continuing after death, right? Where does the other part of our being go? That, that became a, a sort of a big question. And then, as I said, the, I, I got bit by the Stanley Hotel bug just because it was this huge, famous haunted hotel near my house, you know? So I would go there, people would have experiences. And there's, I think that it's a, it's a double whammy where number one, you have your own experiences. And then number two, a lot of that motivation for spreading these stories out to the world happens when you see somebody have a paranormal experience for the first time. And you see that completely flabbergasted, dumbfounded, the world has been shaken. You know, you look like you just saw a ghost. That's a very real look that, that we've both had the opportunity to see sometimes. And once that happens you want more and more people to have that experience. So if we can use documentary abilities to bring that out to the world, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm happy to do it. It is a lot of fun to watch. That's for sure. Me and my special lady, we had so much fun watching Hellier and Spirits of the Stanley. We binge watched Spirits of the Stanley like in one sitting practically. <laughs> That's it, awesome. And we had other stuff to do, but we were, it was too good. We got a lot of snacks going and just uh, cranked through it. And, so, so much fun. And the way that it's presented, the the actual production quality is off the charts, really, especially because Carl was telling me off the air that that was like his first sort of video log mini television series type of thing and absolutely nailed it. I mean, you already have a good mind for storytelling, I imagine, as a novelist, but you translate the story of your experiences super well and... uh <laughs> Thanks. It is really fun and exciting. What I'm most curious about, I guess, to ask about next is what are some of the most concrete or physical type of spirit encounters that you guys have had? And they, they can come from Spirits of the Stanley, but if there's something else, I'd love to hear about it because there's definitely some physical stuff that happens in uh, Spirits of the Stanley. Yeah. It's tough. The The physical concrete stuff is definitely uh, challenging because luckily there was definitely some of our best experiences have absolutely been documented in our last few months up at the Stanley on spirits of the Stanley and Hellier was such a subtle kind of strangeness that, uh, is really, uh, I'm very happy that not only is it documented on film, but we picked up on the nuances of it enough that we could actually translate it to a story that other people could pick up on that same nuance. Cause synchronicity and coincidence of that nature is, can be very challenging to get other people to kind of understand that when generally it's, it's more of a personal kind of connection that people make that said, gosh, like, I think, I don't know if, if 
I think Connor is typically the same way. Some people have just like ghostly experiences aplenty, but I think he and I both, I've, I've kind of been, because I've been fascinated by this for so long, I've always kind of wanted validation of my want to believe. I, I, I want this stuff to exist. I want it to be real and ghosts be uh, running around and, you know, little goblins be terrorizing poor people's uh, farms or um, <laughs> like yards and stuff like that. Um, sorry, people, but I, I want it to be real. <laughs> but it's been a slow process going through this whole kind of field for the last 10 years because I'm searching for that validation. I want it to be true, but it doesn't just happen like your first or second time out that you get something that concrete, you know, like a ghost walks through the room or you feel like actual physical contact. For me, I think there's what falls into the concrete realm. Um, I'm thinking out loud a little bit here, but kind of my list of things that would fall into that concrete realm are the, the stuff that's really unarguable. So I think physical contact typically can be one because it's usually pretty distinct. I think some people's imaginations can carry away with them, but I've only felt like I've gotten touched before like three times by a spirit probably um, in all the investigations I've done. So those to me are pretty distinct. I think sounds are very tricky. I think that's hard to kind of call distinct um, unless they're like very clear whispered voices. But even at a certain point up at the Stanley, when you're sitting in a dark room with 12 strangers, like it's hard to trust everyone, you know, like if, if you can't see where that sound came from, I think, I think the challenge with it is that the paranormal is typically a very subtle world and concrete stuff is typically the opposite of subtle. Let me kind of think about some stories here. Connor, I'm sure you have some specifics at this point that are more entertaining while I try to think about my better concrete moments. So think about a couple. So First of all, Carl seen a UFO. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I uh, <about> that. <laughs> but I will say, here, I actually had the opportunity when I first started getting into this field. If people remember the TV show Ghost Hunters, they had different sister groups through different regions of America. So when I was in my late teens, I applied and was accepted to be to the Colorado group, right? So it wasn't on TV or anything like that. Basically what it was is, ghost hunters would receive all of these claims, especially back in their heyday of people who say their business or their homes were haunted. And we were sort of like the team who would go in, you know, first to like, be like, okay, well, let's go see if these people are crazy or what's going on. So in that period of time, I had the opportunity to do, you know, somewhere between, I think I count around 65 uh, residential investigations, right? And that was going into people's homes who claimed a whole bunch of spirit activity and spending the night or spending the weekend and just seeing what happened. In those instances, in terms of concrete evidence, that's really difficult because A, so much of what I have is audio. I actually literally have a file on my, compo- on, on my, on my computer that's like greatest hits ghost voices. Like, but those are all caught by me. And I can't just walk into a lecture hall and show these to people. Here's irrefutable proof of ghosts. It's proof to me, but that's because I was in the room, right? So, so how do you convey that to somebody who wasn't there? That's really hard to do. But some of the money, other favorite stories involve object manipulation. People will notice a lot of things moving around on their own. I've personally been able to see flashlights jump up into the air, door handles jigger, jiggle, doors slam in my face, windows open and close, 
footsteps, especially. And I, I will say this, I have yet to see, boom, here's a human apparition standing in front of me, right? That big holy grail moment has yet to occur. Which is crazy because you, I remember that door slamming in your face story is always one of my favorites. Like that's so yeah. concrete. Um, and we both had various kind of concrete things like that. But like, it's interesting that we both haven't actually seen that apparition right in front of us with all that we've done this. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just like science where we have sort of a religious belief in scientism in our society, but really a lot of the stuff people take for granted as scientific proof or evidence of this or that, they never went and did the experiment themselves or they didn't double check to see if that data was real. So to me, it's not that much different that your recorded ghost voices too. like latest study shows that coffee is good for your health or, or whatever. <laughs> uh, it's not that different in my opinion. And I think this is all just encouraging people to go and explore this stuff for themselves or to think more deeply about anything weird that they have had happen to themselves that might've been written off as just a coincidence or just even forgotten about because you didn't have the right file in your mind to uh, put it away in. <laughs> and like for me, I've had some interesting things happen around the times when people I've known have passed away. And like I've seen one of the weirdest things that I've seen happen. And I had a couple of friends with me in my house, a cabinet door in my kitchen opened and a mug flew out of it. Like someone threw it out. <laughs> it didn't like just fall out in a completely cool. vertical way. It flew out. So that was weird. And then around the same time I had a guitar strum itself that was in the room with us and there was no like it was just clear as day, all the strings strummed, but there was nothing that touched it. So little things like that. I think a lot of us have those in our backgrounds. So you've talked about some of uh, the investigations you've done in people's homes, but are there any locations that either of you have spent a lot of time in like Stanley or Hellier? It's been one of the challenges really that Connor and I both have backgrounds in like one-off investigations because that was kind of the norm for a while after ghost hunters got really big, everyone started a team and they went out and did like one-off investigations like they saw on TV after being up at the Stanley. That was really where I think Connor and I both got the bug for like ongoing long-term case studies because we could go back, we could get used to the area. We could get used to the normal sounds, the ice machine that would drop every, you know, 45 minutes, uh, we could identify a lot more things uh, in a skeptical nature to try to rule out certain experiences. But we also got used to the feel of the place. We noticed one of the biggest things that I started to notice over time was the way that the, the feel of a room could be totally comfortable for two months. And then I could walk in one night and it just feels super strange or uncomfortable or creepy. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's not particularly psychic, that's really interesting that, that, being able to go back over and over again to a place could open me up to uh, some sensations like that. And I could start to get in touch with that aspect of myself and my own senses and try to figure out whether there was any validation with that. Our biggest struggle since the Stanley decided to end the ghost hunts has been finding another spot that we have an open invite to go back to and that has consistent impressive activity. Um, for some reason, that seems to be a bit of a tall order out in Colorado, at least anywhere close to where Connor and I live. Uh, that isn't, you know, a couple hour drive of some sort. Because um, we do have some open invites at some places, but the activity isn't very consistent. But we would like that consistency to test stuff like the Estes method a little bit more. Um, but for some reason, 
there's a certain lull in the ghostly activity right now that's been standing in the way of us finding uh, another repeatable spot. Connor, you know, one of our spirits at the the Stanley, uh, Eddie, who showed up in our last couple of years up there, seems to be following Connor around sometimes. He likes to poke <laughs> his head in as sort of a little personal yeah. epilogue to spirits. So I guess that kind of makes your own life kind of a recurring case study there, Connor. I don't know if I'm putting on you, putting you on a spot with that. It's funny. <laughs> uh, I mean, Hey, when the question comes up, it's like, where's the next place to ghost hunt? And this sort of certainly sort of ghost, but it's like, well, the, the next best place to investigate is wherever you are right then. You know, you can investigate in your own home. If you send the beacon out there, I think that the ghosts will come to you. I don't think you necessarily have to be in an abandoned prison or an old hotel, you know, things like that. Eddie, <laughs> I guess, would be his own special case because I straight up invited him. We all did, you know, to, to come with us if, if he wanted to once we left the Stanley Hotel because he sort of became a friend of ours. And every few months, something will happen knocking on wood that it keeps happening where he will move something around. We'll hear a voice. We'll hear footsteps. My, my poor girlfriend, uh, when we first started dating, started to have all these weird things happening around her apartment. That was all very familiar Eddie type paranormal activity. And I could immediately tell what was going on. And so I had to explain to her (laughs) what was happening. That's great. You guys actually answered one of my questions, which was if any of the Stanley spirits had made contact since y'all left there. Is it just Eddie though? Is he the only one? He seemed very active in that uh, show. That's for sure. It is just Eddie. Yeah. I haven't, have you noticed anybody else, Carl? No, I mean, uh, from towards the, the last year or two up at the Stanley, our two other main spirits that we were in touch with up there were Lucy and Paul. Paul, I think at the point that we had started filming uh, Spirits of the Stanley had been pretty far removed from the ghost hunts at that point. I think he he was just doing his job as like a security guard type. So I think it was a long time before that that he finally recognized that this was like a hotel-sponsored event and he just left us alone. He's more the kind of guy that'll try to run you out if you're like, you know, in there when you shouldn't be. So we didn't hear from Paul very much in the last uh, couple of years there at the hotel. And Lucy got quieter and quieter as things went. To the point that those last year or two that we were there, and very much in Spirits of the Stanley, she was super absent. And that was one of the ongoing mysteries that we were kind of trying to figure out was like where she went. If she was kind of sick of the public attention weekend, weekend in and weekend out. Or if she was figuring her own stuff out and was moving on. Or if she was just kind of fading. I don't know. But she she hasn't really poked up since. So Eddie's kind of the only one that we'd almost expect to kind of come around since. And he is the only one that so far uh, seems to have, to have stopped in a number of times. This is just interesting to me on a level of wondering why some spirits hang around and why others don't. Do you guys have any personal speculation on that from your experience with actually getting to know certain individuals that aren't in physical bodies? There's a, there's a lot of different theories uh, out there about it, some of which have resonated with me. It's something I haven't thought about as deeply as I did back at the Stanley uh, three years ago and further because I'm a little less involved in the ghost world now. But for me, it always made sense that uh, certain very human type fixations could carry over. Um, the spiritual realm seems to be very, very much one that's tied to emotions and kind of like mental states and 
repress things or not repress things. I think that those little like mental fixations and hiccups and hangups and focuses that we get into as human beings can make a big impact on us, perhaps after bodily death, if that is the process that's happening. So I think that that to me was always kind of explanation enough that if there was some big life issue that that frightened you away from taking the next step or that you felt like you had to stay and focus on and see through to the end, I think that that focus can become kind of all-consuming. Again, if I don't want to make too many assumptions, if that's what spirits are, if they are actually dead people, if they are actually some sort of a soul or spirit that lingers after death, there's a whole lot of other possibilities there. You know, maybe they're all just thought forms. Maybe it's an interdimensional thing. Uh, maybe they're all aliens that really like to play pretend. I don't know. Seems like there are like human explanations that do make a lot of sense to me when it comes to just fixations alone. But there's a lot of other theories out there that I really like too. Yeah, I believe. I don't want to. Uh, I could go on and on about this question probably for ten minutes. The the thing is, in a very basic way. I like to categorize spirits, which I know is a very difficult thing to do, but I, I see in my mind, you know, three main different types of spirits that each have their own motivations, each sort of ideas as to why they might be staying around. There's the classic intelligence spirit. Who knows what their motivations for sticking around might be? It's, it's another invisible person in the room, right? That's what Eddie is. There's a, a residual spirit, which isn't necessarily a level of consciousness but is rather just a, a capture, a moment of time that's repeating over and over again. Um, the sound of footsteps up a creaky stairwell every stormy Tuesday night, things like that. It's just that moment from the past being replayed over and over. I don't think there's consciousness with a lot of those really sort of historical, sort of like urban legend type haunts, right? And then that third type that Carl briefly hit on there is basically the thought form or the intentional spirit where I think it might actually be possible. And I think Lucy from the Stanley hotel might be a good example of this. It might be possible to manifest a spirit where basically her story sort of explains the theory. Well, where people for a decade were told on the Stanley hotel ghost tour that there was the ghost of a homeless woman who lived in the basement of the Stanley Hotel. They were told this over and over again. We don't know where that story came from. Carl and I and Michelle, we got there and we tried to kind of figure out the, the truth behind this. And when we started to realize that it seemed increasingly less likely that there was ever a homeless woman who lived in the basement of the Stanley Hotel, we started to notice less and less activity from her. And we started to talk about her less on our tours because we didn't want to be like lying to people, you know? But when we started to have some doubt in that sort of intentional haunting of a spirit, we started to notice less activity from her. And so I think that if you have enough people in a room talk about the same ghost story over and over again, they could actually manifest that ghost. Man, you really did answer this in the way that I would have answered it if someone asked me what's going on with ghosts, which is, well, it could be tulpa-like thought forms. It could be actual spirits hanging around because they have unfinished business like Casper the ghost or, you know, this stoned tape theory that things play yeah. out in the area where they happened if there was a heavy emotional psychic residue for some reason. So I think that most likely there's some combination of all these things going on. Would you say that it seems like some spirits have different abilities to contact us than others and some don't even try to contact like 
what kind of uh, what kind of differences of communication styles do you see with these spirits? <laughs> you definitely notice a lot more strength from others. You definitely notice a lot more reoccurring natures, reoccurring contacts, the same type of contact, the same voice. But I, that's anybody's guess as to what enables some spirits to come through and others not. I think a lot of it is choice. I think that it's possible that there's different levels of whatever they're going through. And once they get so far away from our physical realm, it sort of becomes a more distant voice. But again, that's all speculation. It's an interesting question. I think Connor and I are in similar boats, all of us, in fact, where we're all very well aware of the different theories and we know what kind of fits, but we're also reluctant to choose one and say this, this is what I think it is. Cause I think that that's a pretty dangerous area and a pretty relatively undocumented world. But yeah, I think that like the thing that resonates with me is that the, the spiritual world uh, afterlife, whatever it is out there, um, should it exist, I think is, a much bigger and more complex thing than just the material world. And that I think that we are indeed spiritual beings having a material experience. At least I'd I'd like to think that. And so I think for a lot of us, if there is more after we pass on, I think that it's probably the things that we think are so important here in this life are probably a little less important when we get the big, bigger picture um, after we kind of shed this one behind us. So I think that some of them are, are afraid to go on to the bigger picture and they linger. Some of them might go on to that bigger picture, but they'll come back and kind of give a little bit of the right kind of helping hand along to maybe those who might need it. I don't know. And then others are just kind of like, you know, peace, like everyone else will catch up. Uh, it's, it's been an aspect about the paranormal in general. Uh, especially with uh, with survival phenomenon, what happens to us after we die, um, because there is that element that's kind of like it's inevitable for every one of us. And so there's a certain degree of whether it's effort in our own scientific end or whether or not it's effort on the spirit's ends to tell us about what it's like. I think that there is sort of kind of a shrug at the end of the day that says, it's not going to be long before you know too, so we're not <laughs> going to waste that much time on it. You know, and that makes sense too. <laughs> When I'm thinking about missing somebody that's died or something, I just remind myself, for all I know, it'll feel like it was just one day whenever I cross to the other side, you know, like just one long day. Can you guys give us your your plugs where people can find you online? Give them your social media handles that they'd best be uh, finding you at? Yeah. So um, for me, uh, basically Carl Pfeiffer is my name and everything is connected to that. So you can go to carlpfeiffer.com. That's got links to my social media, but I mostly live on Twitter and Instagram under the same name. Um, If you don't know how to spell that, it's K-A-R-L-P-F-E-I-F-F-E-R. If you can't remember that, just Google it with like ghost or hellier and I'm sure it'll correct you and get you to the right place. You can also find Hellier at hellier.tv or by searching for it on Amazon Prime. Um, and if you enjoyed it, feel free to leave a good positive review. And where can people find you, Connor? So people who are interested can find me online uh, with, you know, in Hellier, of course, on YouTube, Amazon Prime, hellier.tv. Spirits of the Stanley is available uh, on YouTube, but even better through Facebook video. Um, that's at Spirit Inve- Spirits Investigations Team on Facebook there. Um, and then my personal uh, social media is at Connor J. Randall on Twitter and Instagram. And then on Facebook, Connor James Randall dash paranormal. Um, I'm on there chatting with people as much as I can every day. Happy to uh, answer any questions or 
you know, continue this search of the strange and just, uh, want to give you a big thank you for, for having us, man. Um, appreciate that. And we, again, I apologize that this blizzard is messing up my internet connectivity, but, uh, it's been a fun afternoon chatting with you. Absolutely. You guys have a, a lot of gratitude from me for taking the time to sit here with me for a couple hours and talk about this weird stuff. But it sounds like, <laughs> as you were saying, Connor, you're like me and you just can't even have a normal conversation anymore with people. So <laughs> this is the type of talk that I live for and that people that know me personally have to be subjected to, even though they don't have even 10% of the context of what it is I'm going on about. So sometimes things get a little bit lost in the effort to communicate just how weird and interesting and wonderful this planet we live on actually is. Would you guys have any last closing words of advice for creators out there who are getting inspired by this conversation we've just had? I would just say, keep on doing it. You know, um, I've, I've been making sacrifices for the last decade to keep on doing it. And, uh, so far I'm still kicking and happy. So, you know, if you're into the paranormal stuff, whatever your path or your avenue is, uh, keep going down that, keep exploring that, keep trying other paths in other different directions. And if you're creating, um, well, keep doing it for you and keep doing it as good as possible and keep being inspired, inspired and then see where it takes you. Yeah, exactly. And, and like Carl, you know, we've said about Carl, he, he, did Hellier basically as a second job while he was, you know, working at a coffee shop. And, and it's something that, that you can do, that it's something that people can create if they work hard enough on things like that. My big advice would be to stay focused, to stay focused on either a particular case or a particular location, become a real expert at some aspect, and then, and then tell your story. That sounds like great advice. We all have weird places in our neighborhoods that probably nobody has done very in-depth investigating on. So if paranormal research sounds like something you want to jump into and you've never tried it, I think these guys would be really awesome to look to for inspiration and methodology and all that. And I'm sure you guys would even field some uh, questions from people if they hit you up on social media. So yeah, thanks for being here. This has been, like I said, a blast. I always get mildly starstruck by these type of conversations whenever it's somebody that's doing something so wickedly cool <laughs> like you guys. But I'd love to have you guys on again together or individually. And I will definitely be staying tuned for Hellier 2 and all the all the else that you guys get up to and put out there. It's uh, It's been a real pleasure, guys. Thanks. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Happy to be on again anytime. Awesome. Well, Tribe, we got another episode on the books and what a good one that was. I really enjoyed talking to both of these guys together. I know either one of them individually could have held their own for a two-hour show, no problem, but they do work together so well that I thought I should invite both of them and... I'm really glad I did because I think it worked out awesome. Getting into their story with the Stanley, maybe it's three years old for them, but it sure isn't stale for me because I only checked it out after seeing their new work, Hellier, which of course is just incredible. And I know we might have been a little cagey about details as to what actually happens in Hellier, but that's because we want you to go see it for yourself and be led down the journey that they're led on because that's the way it's going to have the most impact on you. And trust me, 
If you go watch it, you'll understand why everyone's raving about it. I love this concept of the window areas. And yeah, we're talking about ghosts and goblins and things like that. But these type of things have inspired creativity in artists forever since time immemorial. I mean, that's what fantasy is all about, right? These fringe ideas that maybe there's something to it. Maybe there's some reality. Maybe someone's had an experience somewhere. It's a big world out there and not to mention an infinite universe. So I don't rule out much in terms of what's possible. I like to keep my mind open and I love to explore fringe topics. And And if you guys like this episode, maybe I will get more guests that are in this realm or at least in the fringe and paranormal categories. To me, it ties right into a lot of the Jungian types of synchronicities that we discuss on the show with other guests. And synchronicity is a weird thing because a lot of the time it's actually precognition more than it is synchronicity. But we just call it synchronicity because maybe we're afraid to say that we've got precognitive powers. I don't know. But it seems to me that these two guys, Carl and Connor, are quite a lot more psychic than maybe they even realize, especially after watching how they interact with these entities in their documentaries. And I especially love their whole Estes method that we discussed, that we're merging technology with psychic ability and intuition. I think that is so cool, and it's probably going to be the future of how this type of research gets done, for sure. I think we'll hear more from these guys in the future, both on this show and in the larger paranormal research community, for sure. Like I said, I just think this type of stuff really cranks up the dial on the imagination to 11 because you have to use your imagination to even investigate this type of thing or to even contemplate it because it's so far removed from baseline normal reality experience that we typically have. And I really liked when Connor said that the next best place to investigate is wherever you are right now. You can investigate in your own home. If you send a beacon out, the ghost will come to you. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to be in an abandoned prison or old hotel. That may be, but if you've got any abandoned prisons or old hotels out there near you, why not go check them out and try some of the techniques that you see on Spirits of the Stanley and Hellier for getting in touch with whatever may be there. You might get spooked out, surprised. Either way, I'd love to hear about it. And like I said, let me know if you want more content like this because your feedback is always appreciated. And don't forget, there is a plus extension on this episode where we go a whole second hour and we talk about some really cool stuff like family spirits, familial hauntings, speculations on how spirits create synchronicity to get noticed, how the imagination ties into spiritual contact, getting scratched by spirits. We contemplate whether paranormal activity is more physical or mental. We talk about precautions taken before facing potentially unknown spiritual forces and Carl's spider sense and how it feels to detect weird juju. The reasons why Connor and Carl's spirit investigations team were forced to give up their work at the Stanley Hotel. And we considered whether or not investigators should try to guide ghosts or spirits onto the next world if it's possible to do that. And we discussed the 440 mystery from Spirits of the Stanley. We talked about psychic spies and remote viewing. They gave us a teaser about what to expect with Hellier Season 2, and Connor and Carl talked about why weirdness inspires them and how to stay grounded while going down the rabbit hole. All in all, it was a badass plus extension, and you guys know what to do. Patreon.com forward slash interverse will get you there. You can find a link in the show notes or on my website at interversepodcast.com. Sign up, five bucks a month. 
and you'll get three to five extended episodes a month. I shoot for one a week, but you know, I also have a regular job. Good news though, my regular Babylon job has agreed to let me cut down to four days a week. So that's one entire extra day of the week that I get to spend working on our podcast, and I'm so happy about it. And if you want to help me make that into a full-time job for myself, all you got to do is cough up five bucks a month. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things out there asking for your subscription money and recurring payments, but if you really want, you could just throw $5 down, get access for a month, blow through the archives that you're interested in, and unsubscribe. I don't care. I'd love you to stay on and keep subscribed, and I think once you get into Plus, you won't want to miss out on what comes after going forward in the future, but hey, I'm not picky. Any little bit of support will help. There is no other way that this podcast generates revenue other than Plus members, so thank you for those of you who are already doing it, and if you've been considering it, now's the time. (laughs) Me love you long time if you will sign up. I love you anyway. I'm really happy you're checking out the show. In the show notes, you will find links to Carl's website, Connor's band, The Ghoulies, and of course, Hellier and Spirits of the Stanley for you to watch for yourself, and I highly recommend you do. And I'm going to play us out today with a song by The Ghoulies. I really like their style, and something about Connor and Carl just makes me really happy, and I love talking to them, and I'm stoked that we're friends now. If you like what they do, hit them up on Instagram or Twitter, let them know, and Tell them why. (laughs) Let them know why you love what they're doing or just show them some love. Whatever works. We're all about love here. But that's it for me. I'm going to get out of here and publish this episode because I just can't wait to get it on the internet. It's one of the coolest conversations I've ever hosted on this show. Definitely one of the weirdest and looking forward to more of the same as we go forward on this podcast journey. Thanks for listening. I love you all. Be good to each other, especially be good to yourself. And I mean it because you don't want to wind up as a ghost with unfinished business just because you had some sort of weird addiction that you couldn't let go even when you died. Because <laughs> then someone like Carl or Connor is going to start bugging you every day and trying to investigate you. And you're going to be like, dude, just leave me alone. <laughs> nah, but anyway, you guys are the best. Keep up the great work and I'll see you all next week. Much love. And remember, you're infinite. <laughs>